Hello there. Welcome to the Monday Lorians, a podcast where a bunch of Star Wars fans get together for a chat every Monday discussing the latest episode of The Mandalorian Season 2. And today we'll be looking at the seventh episode, Chapter 15, The Believer. My name is Jay Carr. I'm a podcaster, sound designer, and writer on Fresh Take Hub. And I'm joined today by... Uh, David Osger, I am a film journalist and editor over on freshtakehub.com. It's good to be back talking Star Wars with you, Dave. I believe the last time you and me did an episode was the third episode, The Heiress, Bo-Katan. Yeah, it's crazy it's how how long ago that was now. So Yeah, but at the same time, I don't know if, if it's just me, this season has flown by. Mm. Like, I can't, I can't believe we're now only one episode away. <laughs> Yeah. crazy yeah it's mad how the end of this year has gone very quickly just in general and uh yeah mando is kind of like a representation of that so even though while you think of like the first episode you think oh wow that's what i'll go and they said us talking about star wars seemed like ages ago but then in the context of the actual series you're like oh well no it has been quite quick so yeah i think it depends on on which episode which way you look at it like how how quick it's felt <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this whole year has just been... Time this year doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? No. Time is all over the place. Like, I remember someone said, uh, March is in three months. And I was like, hell, I'm still recovering from this March. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Star Wars, you know. Sometimes we're going at light speed. Other times, you know, we're, we're like Mando. We're just drifting along in the Razor Crest, all broken down. You know? <laughs> all broken down. I, I, I should uh, reconfirm it ain't broken down anymore. No. <laughs> that, that's the end of 2020. That's just, you know, the explosion. <laughs> that, that sums it up right there. Yeah. <laughs> Punching the coordinates to Morak. Copy that. Do you want to start off, Dave, um, with your overall thoughts of this episode? Yeah, so I think this was quite an interesting episode because I think a lot of people felt that this episode was going to be the penultimates or lead up as you know the the two-part finale of the season kind of like how we had in season one and it was almost as if we had that with the last episode with you know Boba Fett etc and you know taking the child that was kind of the big cliffhanger to the finale so it's almost as if maybe even they were like oh we can't put the uh the Bo Burnham episode as the sixth episode again <laughs> we'll, we'll just uh swap them around so it doesn't you know come across as uh as mimicking it too much but, but yeah i still felt that the strengths of this season has been that they very much kept it very varied and very different every single week and obviously the volume is doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of making sure that the show always looks completely different and we're getting completely new worlds and you know we have got what a lot of us wanted which is that focused storyline in which they've got the one objective for the entire season while not making it too side questy you know it is still elements of that but i think they've still managed to 
to tie it together somewhat more in a linear way rather than saying, oh, let's just go do this random thing for the sake of it. You know, it still had a purpose. And yeah, surprisingly, this episode gave us something that I don't think anybody expected in that it was quite this personal journey for, you know, an unexpected character. So, you know, partly, you know, as I think we'll talk about later on, why this episode is called The Believer, which is still somewhat cryptic. I think, you know, you can sort of look into it in a, in a few different ways. But, but yeah, it's it was definitely an interesting one. It was really fun. I loved a lot of the moments for it. And it did have one of my biggest reactions of the entire season, uh, which we'll go on to later. Like I literally, um, you know, we went, we were talking earlier about Investor Day and uh, you said that voice clip, which is, you know, Jake, you know, celebrating like, yeah, man. You know, I literally had one of those moments watching this. I was like screaming like, yes, yes. It was, I loved it. It was so good. So yeah, a, a few, you know, missteps I felt or, you know, a few bits which I found a bit repetitive, but overall, again, another fun episode. And I just hope that it leads to a big finale. I think obviously last year we had like an hour long finale. I can't imagine that they're going to do anything less this year. So hopefully they're they're saving the good stuff for the finale as well. Yeah, I have uh, very similar thoughts to you. I have um, had a different relationship with this episode because I, I sort of said this off air, but I was still very tired from la- from the night before, uh, staying up late to watch the Investor Day. Uh, and when I first watched this episode, there was a sense of uh, underwhelmed, a sense of uh, a bit disappointment, I think, because I had such high expectations. And that's on me. Do you know what I mean? I'm always trying to tell people, don't get your expectations too high. And I let myself fall for that. And I think it's because last episode was one of my favorite episodes of the entire show, arguably my favorite, uh, that it had a lot to live up to for me. Uh, so at first I was like, hmm, I'm, I'm not sure about this episode. But then after a rewatch, I was like, I'm going to, well, no, I'm going to take the time and really see what this episode's about. And then, you know, it's just me probably being grumpy in the morning. But after the second viewing, I very much did enjoy this episode. Uh, I, it was a quite personal journey episode from both, uh, Mando and, um, Migs Mayfield. Uh, as we saw uh, at the end of the last episode. So, yeah, uh, Rick Famuyiwa, it's... I love his directing. His directing is actually... I think he's one of the better directors on this show so far because he's he's interesting director. And, like, although it, this episode feels very familiar it beats to, like, already established this season, Famuyiwa, he takes the advantage to really slow down the show in this episode and delivers some really quiet character-building moments, which I loved. And I was skeptical going in as well with um, Migs Mayfield, played by Bill Burr, because um, I'm not sure, I can't remember if you had a problem with him or not last season, but I didn't really so much have a problem with his performance last season, but his accent and stuff sort of took me out of it. Uh, but I thought he fully redeemed himself in this episode he seemed a much more compelling character uh, and he gave a much more nuanced performance from Bill Burr. So that that was really surprising. Uh, and actually, yeah, there's still some problems about how, how they get to the end of the episode and the lessons we've learned. But I actually find what we, fi- what we find out at the end of the episode about Mando and, and uh, Mayfield is really much more interesting than the journey it took to get there, if you know what I mean. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, 
some great Star Wars action. You know, again, with the very much Western influences, this reminded me of like a train robbery from the old Western films, bandits going after a train. So that was really cool. And again, the visual effects continue to astonish me. We're going to new interesting planets, which is what I always want in Star Wars. And, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but Ludwig Goridsson's score is just insane. He's so good. And each episode, he continues uh, developing his motifs and themes into new and interesting ways. And, yeah, I'm just a super fan of everything he's doing. So, yeah, overall, it's not one of the strongest episodes for me this season, but I still had a, a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And I, I should apologize for <laughs> saying that... Uh... Mayfield is played by Bo Burnham. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I was dying to laugh when you were talking through that because I was like, searched up Bo Burnham and I was like, where did I get that from? I was like, I know that they have B and B in their name, but I was like, why did I say Bo Burnham? It's like, it's just you, got a... Bo-ka- you got Bo-Katan on the head. <laughs> That's it, yeah. It was like, I don't know. Did it... I was like, I haven't even watched eighth grade, but, you know, but I don't know. Um, yeah, so Bill Burr is who I, who I meant in that scenario. Uh, so uh, apologies to Bill Burr. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you with like the action stuff and a lot of the, you know, the influences. I also felt like quite an Indiana Jones vibe. I think it's that whole like fighting on vehicles aspect uh, comes into it. So yeah, this, this definitely had a lot of fun moments. And I think it, the look of it as well, wasn't it? The fact that they were like, this is the industrial jungle planet. <laughs> it's like that, you know, fits in very much with Indiana Jones and, and those kind of movies as well. So yeah, there was a lot to enjoy during this. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to break you down the the plot elements of it because there, there's definitely a lot to enjoy and, and get a kick out of in this. 10 seconds to system shutdown. We'll uh, jump into the episode, uh, which, as Jake said, is chapter 15, The Believer. And, you know, we start off and, you know, you and Niall got your your wish from last week. You know, we got uh, Mayfield is taken out of prison right from the get-go within the first intro of the episode. It doesn't become a kind of breakout episode which i was also thankful for as well um and this is on a trash saw planet kind of looks like where they're you know using the work for you know the prisoners as like a workforce uh we see you know more of the kind of repurposed 8080s and then we get a new republic security droid who uh, walks up to mayfield and tells him that he has been uh, ordered by a marshal uh, to go into custody with them. Uh, so at that point, we see Cara Dune come in and uh, she says that, you know, she needs him for a job and the security droids kind of, like, threatens Mayfield with his, like, baton and everything and, you know, we get, like, a bit of an interchange and a, a bit of chemistry already between Mayfield and and Dune and... Yeah, I thought this was like a really interesting scene because, again, you know, it's, it's nice to see some of the little ways that the, the New Republic works. And, uh, yeah, it was like to see a, a, a different kind of droid as well. That's, you know, that's something I did say that I, I did enjoy with that Prisoner episode last year was just like the the New Republic droids and stuff. So I was, I was glad to see a bit more of that here. Yeah, I like the setting of this. Uh, I have a couple of little issues. Um, I get that they're prisoners, but 
This seems like something the Empire would do. Sending off prisoners for, like, either cheap or free labor sort of thing. I I don't know. It just, for, for me personally, it doesn't seem like something the New Republic should or would do, uh, considering how they want to be so different to the Empire. Uh, but it's it's a minor, small thing, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, I completely agree. I love the, the chemistry we get between... Uh, Mayfield and Cara Dune already that even though they haven't actually met each other like from the get-go there seems to be a bit of playfulness there and in regards to what we said last week about oh I want the sort of they do I want them to break him out in like the first five ten minutes uh, I was watching this I was like oh yes awesome it's straight away let's go on the mission let's let's do this but they sort of fooled you because they then reveal that it is a sort of another side quest that they have to go on. So I was a bit let down with that, in in a sense. I was like, don't sort of set it up that this is a very quick thing, that we're going to go to the main story, but then have another side quest there. I liked what happened eventually. You know, engage with the story that's presented to you, I always say, but... I don't know. It's just something didn't quite feel right about how it was set up. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think the the worst case scenario would have been, like said, let's break out Mayfield and the entire episode be about that, which just would have sucked. Um, whereas I think this was like the middle option and maybe the more ideal or more expected version was kind of like, let's go straight to that Imperial ship and, you know, let's get straight on there, start the mission kind of thing. And I, I guess after what we've had, I was kind of more acceptant of it because we wouldn't have got to see this different world and we wouldn't have got to see some of the the story elements and the different action sequences that we would have had because that was the only thing I was worried about with the finale is like I hope we don't just get a two-parter just set on an Imperial Star Destroyer because that was a great thing about last year's episode is that you know we were there on uh what's the lava planet called again it was Navarro yeah so the fact that that acted as quite a you know a refreshing different landscape for like a finale so you know I, I didn't want to see just kind of like the usual star wars hallways you know for two episodes kind of thing and yeah what, what you said with the the prisoner thing i suppose i that didn't strike me because to me i felt it was a bit more like the idea of like integrating prisoners into society i suppose like i didn't see it so much as like oh they're using them whereas the empire did a kind of slavery thing they captured wookies and used them as slaves whereas i kind of felt that especially because cara doom was able to take mayfield away i kind of got that vibe of like in the clone wars when they have uh bounty hunters working for them as advisors and trainers for the clone army i kind of felt that that was something that might possibly happen a lot in this new republic is that they would use these criminals and these bounty hunters or assassins to their advantage and that they're like right let's use these for to improve ourselves to you know to find out to find the real criminals and to find the criminals that we haven't yet captured so i kind of saw it as a bit of that as well so I suppose it was a bit of a happy medium, but you know, I guess it depends on uh, on your politics, whether whether Star Wars has gone completely liberal or not. Depends on your point of view, I guess. Yeah. In this scene as well, I'd like to point out, uh, action figure collectors everywhere must have lost their minds seeing Boba Fett uh, because he's got a paint job and it's the paint job of the original Kenner action figure. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and I, I, I lost it as soon as I saw that. I was like, oh my god! And that, and then immediately I was like, hmm, he did that very quickly because it was in wasn't in great shape. So he did a good job on that. Yeah, I know. That's why I was kind of like torn on that. But you know that that's why before the podcast I was like, I'm gonna wear this t-shirt as appropriate to it. So. I got my Boba Fett t-shirt. This is the way. <laughs> Represent. So, yeah, I've always been intrigued by that sort of bolder, more polished look for for Boba. And I think that obviously we saw that with Django Fett. And while I was surprised to see, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, especially because it is his father's armor and the way that he talked about it in the previous episode. It made sense to me that he would be like, right, let's get this thing all, you know, teched out and you know polished up and all of that kind of made sense i did feel it it because you got rid of that shine it did take away from the grittiness and the the sort of worn aspect of the armor which you know again if you look at his appearance in empire and stuff it is this kind of battle-worn armor so Mm -hmm. especially in the last episode it looked like that so yeah while i did appreciate it and it looked very cool it did take a bit of getting used to i think more on a design aspect because they didn't really make it shine it looked a bit plasticky at some points i thought um mm. I, like- I yeah i think that was intentional I, d- I genuinely think it was intentional i think on, on the side i said to like please those um action figure people yeah uh and you know from the from the mouth of john favreau himself he said that he had that boba fett action figure and that's where you know he started coming up with those stories so uh, but on in terms of a story and c- character development point of view, it kind of does reflect Boba Fett and who he is now because he is a changed man. Do you know what I mean? He he is not the villain he once was anymore. He's I wouldn't go as far as to say he's a hero, but he's a complicated character who's got some issues about him. But um, I wouldn't go as far as to call him a villain. Uh, so the change in the armor, I think, kind of makes sense to where he is now. Yeah, definitely. And and he gets some great moments in this episode, um, even like dialogue-wise, which we'll go through later. Um, so like I said, as Jake said, uh, Mayfield follows Dune, uh, where she leads him to the Slave One. Uh, you know, and we also see Fennec Shand, and we get a funny interaction in which Mayfield is like, oh, you know, I thought you were somebody else there for a moment when he sees Boba Fett. Uh, we, we have the great score of Ludwig come in there where he has that sort of like entrance dramatic, you know, symbolic music that he now uses for boba and then once we see mando then he has his like guitar rift come in which is great you get the juxtaposition of the two themes um so then you know mayfield is kind of you know worried that uh mando has uh, come to kill him uh but they sort of make it clear at that point that they've sort of bent the rules so that they can use him because he is ex-imperial and we we early on as well get the idea here that he is kind of somewhat ashamed of that or you know he's not happy about being called that so you know that that's setting up um the storyline for for what we'll later uh, get as well so you know after that we see that all of them you know are aboard the slave one and you know we got boba in the pilot seat which i also like as well the fact that mando could just say to him uh boba can you do this he's like yeah sure you know <laughs> it's just like so fun to see those two characters like working together like that yeah it's awesome just to see boba in action in the slave one do you know what i mean because in the original trilogy we only got a couple of shots you know scenes of him flying about and he didn't really do much with the ship we only really got to see the ship in action when Django had it so um and we'll talk about that because there's a nice tie-in a bit later. Exactly, but, uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And that's that's what I loved about this as well. And, you know, I loved the Slave one as a ship before. And when Django had it, like I said, it did lose a bit of the, well, obviously the nostalgia, but the the effect, I think, because of the paint job matches more with Django's armor. But, you know, I've always felt that it looks so good in like the paint job that matches Boba's. And whenever we see this thing flying about, I'm like, that ship is so cool. I love the design. It's one of my favorite ships in Star Wars. It looks awesome. And what I really loved about this scene is the fact that they were able to show that sort of turning mechanism. Yeah. That's the point in which I was like, wow, the production design is really done well here. The fact that they were able to show them sat in there. Because it is almost like when you are in like a theme park ride or I don't know, you're on some sort of advanced (laughs) technology or even on a plane or something when you're there like, oh, look, you know, we're as you take off and you see things flat, you know, passing through you, it's that kind of realism that I loved about it, that you just, you know, they were casually there talking and you saw the cogs turning in the background, you saw, you know, the space outside. So I thought that scene was really great for that. Yeah, it showed the practicality of the Slave One because, you know, for a lot of things in Star Wars, you go, well, that's kind of impractical, but you buy it and get over it because it's Star Wars and it's meant to be wacky and goofy. Uh but it's kind of cool how, you know, you see, because I've always wondered with the Slave 1, like, how do you actually get inside the cockpit thing? Do you, like, mm. have to, like, crawl under and <laughs> yeah. bend down? Like, I'm not, so it sort of explained in a way how they did it. So, yeah, I thought it was awesome. Loved it. So, you know, we're kicking here into the story in which they explain that they want Mayfield because he's ex-Imperial and that he's going to know a lot of the Imperial clearances and protocols in order so that they can find uh, the child or Grogu or as uh, Mayfield calls him, uh, the little green guy, which is one of my favorite lines in this entire episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, and especially because the fact that, again, Dune says, yeah, the little green guy. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't think like even Yoda or anyone has ever been referred to that in the Star Wars universe, which I kind of love yeah. as well. Well, <laughs> actually, remember in Revenge of the Sith, Palpatine oh, refers to my, my little green friend. That's true. So yeah, maybe this is the first time I saw of, like protagonist as a <laughs> said it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they they say that you know Grogu has been taken by Moff Gideon, and you know Mayfield is sort of you know already kind of skeptical at this plan um he's not sure that it's going to work mayfield eventually reluctantly agrees but he can only do it if he has an internal imperial terminal to to use so he can access that to find out where moff gideon's ship or location is um so mayfield recommends the planet morak Dinjaran believes morak is empty but mayfield explains that the planet is home to a secret imperial mining hub Mayfield promises to get them the coordinates if they get him there and Jaren tells Fett that they need to travel to Morak and Fett says uh, copy that and takes the ship into space Um, and at that point then we also get this quite cool you know again it's another planet hologram in which people are pointed at plants going oh here's this bit here's that bit and you know I gotta gotta say (laughs) the Empire considering their defeats they got a lot of uh, secret bases around the outer rim (laughs) for a for a government that aren't doing too well they got a lot of bases around and i also felt as well it was a bit it was a bit hard to believe that they would also be like we need you because you're ex-imperial and you'd have all these clearances and security protocols i'm like surely all of that would have gone in the bin once you threw out the empire surely they're not there like oh well we'll just carry on with our same systems and protocols i think the empire doesn't change though 
Mm. You know, I think because that's their biggest downfall is that they don't change. Look at the first order; they just try to copy the empire and look where it got them. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It it do- it doesn't work, and they're too rigid. Palpatine's the same; he's clinging on to life. He doesn't want to let go of things. And the empire is the same in, in this part of the timeline. And we we've learned as well from those, um, you know, uh, what's his name, Carson? I can't remember his surname, but Carson, the space cop, the X-wing pilot. <laughs> you know, uh, he's. We've learned from him that he he suspects something's going on out here, but the New Republic clearly is, you know, needs some more support. So, yeah, the Empire's still doing things, but the mm. New Republic is maybe not quite reaching the outer rim. It's not quite the perfect government they want to be quite yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, for me, it does make sense why they would still be using the same protocols, TK numbers and stuff for that, because... As we hear one of the characters in this episode say, above all, the Empire wants order. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. I, I think it does make sense for me anyway. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so, you know, we continue with the mission to Morak. We get Fett who explains that the uh, refinery there uh, seems to be, you know, they ask like, you know, what are they refining? And Fett uh, speculates that it's uh, Rhydonium. Uh, which he describes as a highly volatile and explosive material. I love the Fett is the one who says this. I like this idea of like the bounty hunter who's just like, yeah, I know my explosives. I know, you know. Yeah. It's also um, for people, it's a it's a, a deep cut, but Rhydonium is mentioned a few times in the Clone Wars. Yeah, I thought I'd heard it before. I was like, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when they're then talking about getting to, uh, you know, the base, uh Fett says that their Imperials have anti-aircraft cannons, uh, while Shan adds that the Imperials have a platoon of security forces protecting the mine. So Fett says they'll have to go in quiet. Uh, so they fly into the atmosphere of Morak, flying over the forests, and after landing, the group see a passing Imperial juggernaut rolling through the dirt. So we get a bit more, you know, Star Wars vehicles with wheels, you know, so it's always fun to see that. <laughs> and uh, Mayfield says that they're going to need Mayfield says that he's not going to need long inside and tells them once he gets the coordinates, they will need to get him the hell out of there. Um, so Fett tells Mayfield to get on the roof so that he can do an aerial extraction. And Dune says that Mayfield and her will swap out the drivers in the tunnel. So this is the part then where he's skeptical about who should go with him mm-hmm. because of the, again, security of the Imperial database has a face recognition system, which... Very again, clearly sets up this kind of like, oh, you know, we've got a character here who doesn't take off a helmet and, you know, doesn't show his face. Um, but I do love the interaction here. Again, this is one of my favorite moments of Fett where he's, you know, like Shand is just like, oh, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm I'm on their system. And then, you know, Fett just says like, oh, yeah, uh, they might know my face as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it, it goes back to, you know, at the end of Revenge of the Sith when they de- decommissioned all the clones. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a really fun moment and... You know, that's that's the moment in which uh, Din Djarin says that they don't have time for arguments and propose uh, that, you know, he goes in there. You know, so what, what did you think of this early setup of that idea with the face and, the, you know, the helmet and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, this is where the episode got really interesting for me. Um, for a couple of for a couple of reasons, actually. First of all, um, in the term of an action sort of sequences and stuff like that 
I don't know if you, me and Niall have had similar issues where Mando recently has seemed a bit uh, bulletproof, you know, with all his Beskar armor. So there's a lot of times during action sequences, you don't really feel the stakes because he's bulletproof. Do you know what I mean? We know he's going to come out of it. So the fact that they were like, all right, you're going to have to take off your Beskar armor off and put on some Stormtrooper outfits. I was like, okay, now this makes it interesting because he is vulnerable now. He doesn't have that shield covering his body. You know, anything could genuinely happen to him. Uh, so on on the physical side of things, we have that. And then on the thematic level, you're telling this guy now who is been raised by a cult to think think a certain way and he's so stubborn and set in his ways about this is the way and, you know, adhering to the rules of the watch and not removing the helmet for any reason at all. And we really see his character development here because he's like, no, I I now have to change my beliefs. I have to change the rules, bend the rules. And we'll talk about that in a minute because Mayfield brings it up um, in, a, in a couple of scenes. Um, he has to do all this for the child, for Grogu, because he's developed that bond with him, that connection with him, which seems for him now that is more important, more powerful than his beliefs as a Mandalorian. So it's interesting stuff, very interesting stuff. Uh, and again, I got to give it to Rick Famuyiwa because th- it's that central theme of this episode that we're focusing on. And we do get a couple of quieter as I like to call, even though they're not by a campfire, I like to call them campfire scenes because it's just a couple of people talking about some deep stuff. And I just loved the way it was um, executed in this episode. Yeah, and I think that's important to talk about as well is because, you know, where I've had issues as well with the idea of like, oh, I'd like these episodes to be longer or, you know, I'd like a bit more conversation there. I think that's where it comes down to is that, again, in previous episodes, say the Ahsoka one, I wasn't there like, I wish this was longer because we had a lot of literal campfire scenes in that in which you do talk about stuff. Whereas, you know, the ARS, for example, I felt there was a bit too much, right? Let's get to the action kind of stuff. I wanted a bit more time with the characters. And I think this was another good example of the opposite of that is the fact that we did have those scenes with Dinjarin and Mayfield and they had those conversations and even just through different visual sequences or moments you kind of got an idea of like the the more emotions or personal reactions of the characters which i think works a lot better if you're going to have this sort of tighter storyline so again i didn't really have an issue with the time of this one maybe towards the end but we'll get onto that later uh, but as the episode goes on you know uh, mayfield and dune and dinjarin take out the pilots of the imperial juggernaut uh, they take their uniforms and Zinjarin then changes into one of the Imperial uniforms, uh, which has kind of got the design, I think, from Rogue One, isn't it? It's one of the helmets that George Lucas quite liked, which was a nice little nod there. Yeah, it's and, the uh, Combat Assault Trooper, uh, which is also seen in Solo as well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's quite even just the overall armor looked pretty cool. I like just the way that they had sort of... Yeah, different look. It wasn't just like Stormtrooper armor. It was just a a different meld. You know, some people have a problem with it, but I'm always up for whenever there's like a new, like Star Wars project, give me a new trooper. Do you know what I mean? I love it. Like, because there's something so pleasing about the aesthetic of troopers 
and seeing the different variations of them. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just the action figure collector in me. Exactly. They're always going to have that because it sells toys as well. But, yeah. you know, it is it is a fun game to play, isn't it? Like, ooh, who's, what's going to be the new TIE fighter in this film? And, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, Mando entrusts Kara with his armor. And, you know, Mayfield is all making jokes about uh, the Imperial helmet. And uh, once they get into the, into the Juggernaut, that's where they kind of start to have this conversation about the armor and mayfield sort of takes his off and he's like i don't know how you guys can wear these things which i think is quite fun as well because i think that did stand out in his first appearance in season one that he's quite a rarity for a star wars character and that he wasn't drenched in any like helmets or big costume or set pieces um and if anything you know we later see on you know later on you know no big offense to bill burr but when you're up against pedro pascal probably bill burr would be the guy in real life who would be going around with a helmet on his face and Pedro Pascal would be going around going like look at my handsome face the entire time it's quite funny how it's like the other way around in the, in this scenario oh look at this oh, oh the shame now oh, that right there is worth the price of admission wish I could say it looked good on you but I'd be lying they then hear over the intercom uh that the Rhydonium cargo is you know they start to see that it, it's very volatile um so they have to watch the temperature of it to make sure that they're traveling at safe speed so mando so says you know as long as you're you're traveling at the right speed and you're careful we shouldn't have a problem at which point you're watching it like there's going to be a problem then <laughs> like gets in the way of that um you know so they they hit a couple of bumps as they make their journey they also drive through a village and that's where they start to see several local people including children who kind of look at the vehicle and Mayfield talks about how you know people like them see the empire and the new republic as the same they're just invaders which again was a really surprising aspect to get to this episode is the you know I talked about it before is the idea of the Star Wars galaxy is kind of just you know a, an expanded version of earth or the world so the fact that we are seeing you know, that representation of small communities in, you know, I don't know, places like Vietnam or something like that. It kind of had that vibe about it. And, you know, you have seen it plenty of times before, whether it be in real life documentaries or in other pieces of fiction, when you do have, you know, the big soldiers coming through with their tanks and you get like the kids there in their, you know, ragged clothes watching and in awe. So, yeah, something about that, those visuals, which are quite powerful, which again shows why Rick Famuyiwa is, is, is a really good director. Yeah, again, this is another juicy scene, as I like to say. Uh, Mayfeld, you know, he says, Empire, New Republic, it's all the same. You know, that's such an interesting perspective. We got a little bit of that in um, uh, controversial The Last Jedi uh, with the character DJ, you know, uh, talking about the Resistance and the First Order. It's all one big game. So there's a lot of the same thematic things in here. Uh, but I think, though it's unspoken, he's also implying the Mandalorians. You know, that there's no difference between Empire, New Republic, or even the New Mandalorians, as he talks about uh, the Man the Mandalore as a planet. He says, oh, look at them now, they're gone. Yeah, uh, I love how he talks about the way he says Ald Alderaan. <laughs> Alderaan, yeah, this Boston <laughs> accent. But uh, <laughs> um, I didn't mind it as much in this episode. No, I, I thought it worked for um, the, the setting of this yeah, one. But he's basically said the rules that mando lives by is meaningless in the context of like bo katan or even boba fett you know the rules change as the circumstances warrant 
Uh, it's interesting stuff. And th- maybe that's why it caught me off guard when I first watched this episode. Because it gave, it gave me something I didn't know I was I wanted. If you know what I mean. And I, and I, I needed to take a step back. Yeah, because I thought that was interesting as well, is the way that he did say that, you know, neither Alderaan or Mandalore exist anymore. So obviously previously in this season, we had heard it talked about with bo you know, and he's saying that that planet is cursed, etc. But it did make me think, I was like, that would be interesting if it was, a, you know, a, this suffered the same fate as Alderaan. I thought that would have been quite an interesting take on on the law if they literally did, you know, the Death Star blew it up. Because that would be, in a way, it would make sense, you know, for the... And it's also, um, I can't remember if it was in Chapter 7 or the finale in Chapter 8, but when Moff Gideon does his spiel uh, and he says, the mm. night of a thousand tears. So, so yeah. I reckon it's it's that that event, whatever that event is. And I'm so fascinated to find out what happened to Mandalore. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And especially the fact that I think previously is it in this series or maybe we've seen it dropped in lot you know throughout the entire star wars series and different books comics films tv etc is that idea of you know what mando says is that you know mandalore isn't you know a species so it's that idea that you you see in other cultures and other bits of fiction is that you know mandalore can be anywhere it can be you know it's it can carry with the people so it's what am I thinking of? There's like another film or something where just like, you know... Oh my God, I just had it. Thor Ragnarok, when they're talking about Asgard. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it. not a place, it's the people. Yeah, yeah, that's when, um, yeah, uh, Odin is just like, oh, Asgard is not a place. You know, it's He's here. like, this, yeah, so, this, yeah. this could be Asgard. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, I kind of felt that kind of vibes that, you know, Mandalore could be the same. <laughs> I just thinking of uh, Anthony Hopkins as a as a Mandalorian now. <laughs> this could be Mandalore. <laughs> if you wanted it to be, why not? Oh my God, can we please get <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Hopkins in the show? <laughs> yeah, so, but they have uh, more of a conversation uh, after, you know, talking about, you know, places like Mandalore and Alderaan. Um, and Mayfield is joking about whether it, you know, the the rules are that you know Mando can not take off the helmet, or is it that he just can't show his face? Uh, which you know, Dinjarin is just silent during that com- conversation. Uh, Mayfield adds that everyone is the same because they have lines that they don't cross until things get messy, and says that as far as he is concerned, as long as people can make it through their day and sleep at night, they are fine. So again shows the kind of way where he's coming from and i think again that village scene kind of gives you some it, it's quite good it's it's good on bill burr's part it's good on uh, rick famayua and it's good on the writing and the entire production team is that they're able to kind of tell you that he he relates with this village and you can almost see his backstory as maybe a similar sort of child or from a similar background without seeing any of it you know you kind of just get that from the performance and the actual story itself uh, which I think is quite good. Um, we then get on to the part of the episode, which, again, for me, I, I did enjoy the action of this, but I, I find this is the most repetitive part of the episode, is that uh, they get attacked by pirates, and like you were saying with your first viewing, this was the part in which I was really like, oh, really? I was like, we've seen this so many times, I you know, and because it did seem so convenient, because to me... It wasn't that like, oh, we're creeping into an Imperial base. Oh, no, we've been found. You know, it was just the fact that they were 
on their mission, but then some random pirates just come in and it seemed weird to me because I was like, the pirates aren't the enemy of this episode. Why do we care about it? You know, kind of thing. It just seemed like a, just a, an unnecessary nuisance that was just there to add a bit of a, an action sequence and to add a bit more drama. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. What, what did you make of this part of the episode? Uh, the action itself was familiar ground we've sort of seen before. It didn't wow me uh, as much as maybe the action from the last couple of episodes uh, from Dave Filoni and Robert Rodriguez, because that was some really good action in that. This stuff was a bit more safe, a bit more bland. Uh, in terms of story-wise, I buy it. I'm I'm cool for it. They sort of mentioned it at the beginning uh, that there's pirates that, you know, you know, take off, go after these cargo transports. Um, so I'm like, fine. And it sort of ties along to what we just spoke about when we're going through that little village and that oppressed society. Uh, it ties into that, that the people are revolting against the empire uh, and, you know, wanting to take them down. So, you know, it, it doesn't bother me as much, but the action itself could have been a lot better. Yeah, it's it's almost the other way around for me, though, because I feel if they wanted to go with that, they either should have made the pirates the people from the village, because the fact that they're this complete other alien species, I'm like, who are these guys? You know, it, it is just as if, like, mm. you know, again, like, you know, yeah. Star Wars, if Hondo Onanaka just dropped down, like, I am taking this, yeah. you know, and you're just like, who's this guy? You know, where's he come from? Yeah, okay, I, um, I can see where you're coming from, yeah. Yeah, so it would have been nice to have, like, a shot or part of the episode before where maybe they were just watching them in, in the juggernaut or you know they saw them arrive on the planet something like that I, I would have liked um but you know once they're you know aware of their presence they hear over the intercom uh, the imperials talking about you know keep, keep on your trajectory and we're seeing fireballs of you know the other transports again blown up and uh, mayfield is starting to panic a bit um, and then once the pirates arrive, uh, Dejarin notices that they have detonators as uh, they want to obviously blow up uh, the Rhydonium that they have on board. So it's at that point that Dinjarin sort of hops on the top of the, the transport and starts to take them out. And, and yeah, like I said, it, you know, even though the action wasn't as impressive, it did kind of make me realize that this series has come a long way from the first series in which that, okay, while, yeah, maybe chapter two of the first season, that whole like the sand crawler with the that sequence like looked really impressive. You know, episodes like chapter five and six were like you could tell with the the budget was a bit more constrained whereas throughout this i've not felt that that was the case in any episodes you can tell that they've benefited from having a bigger budget and you could tell that here again it was another sort of movie level uh, action sequence and i thought the choreography etc was interesting and like you said there was a bit more stakes because it wasn't the bulletproof mando he had the disadvantage of having what was clearly cheaper armor because it was just breaking off <laughs> yeah on, on his body and uh yeah, he was kind of having to, you know, use a blaster. That run out, he just throws the blaster at some guy's head, which I kind of <laughs> enjoyed. Um, and then he's using, like, the the sort of pike sticks that they have. So it was enjoyable. It reminded me of Solo as well, you know, the the, the heist that we have. Train in, heist, in, in yeah. That, you know, so... Um, but, yeah, they, they eventually sort of managed to, to get rid of the majority of the, the pirates. Uh, but as they get closer to the uh, the base, unfortunately, they then see that like a bunch more pirates start to fly in uh, on their sort of like little pirate ship transports, and uh, you know they're ready to, to throw 
you know, their detonators and, and blow up the transport, at which point, you know, Mando is there with his, you know, his fists up ready to fight them all off. Uh, but again, this was kind of, I, I liked and didn't like it. It was just, it was the predictability that I was in my head. I thought the slave one was going to come in. I was like, slave one's going to come in anything, any moment now, we're going to have something come overhead and blast them all away. So that's where you are starting to get this kind of like repetition a lot with these episodes. I'm like, we just mix it up a bit. You knew that somebody was going to fly over and save them. But it kind of did work in the sense that it didn't give us who we thought. It was TIE Fighters. And it was really interesting to see this, like, majestic, triumphant music playing for the bad guys. I was like, oh, this is, this is quite interesting. And the fact that we see Shand and, and Cara Dune get to the top of that hill and they fly past. And they're like, oh, oh, crap, you know, <laughs> we got here too late. The bad guys have beat us to it. And, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting because, like I said, you know, you got your different factions of Star Wars fans, and it's not often that the guys, you know, the people like who would dress up as the five hundred first would be. They're like, yay, you know, the Imperials kind of thing, because it almost was like that for this moment, which which was quite enjoyable. Yeah, I love this stuff because ever since Disney bought Lucasfilm back in twenty twelve, and they sort of went right, we're gonna start fresh with the canon, you know, uh, wipe away with all the legend stuff and start anew. A lot of the books that they started to release started going into in the the inner workings of the empire and you sort of you know had sympathy for them in a way these are just normal people who are rolled into a job do you know what i mean they don't know any better they don't know the empire's run by this dark wizard you know <laughs> that's just sitting on a throne somewhere they ha- they're oblivious they just think it's a job and this episode go you know actually actually shows the you know the screen audience for star wars because i i understand not everybody reads the books in fact not many people do but for people who watch the movies and now the tv shows this is showing them another side of the empire which again a couple of scenes later it goes even deeper into that into a little spiel that mayfeld has with one of his commanding officers uh, but this shows a different side to the empire it shows a triumphant side of the empire and it almost made you question at times, hang on a second, am I rooting for the Empire here in this situation? Like, I- I'm rooting for the bad guys because you obviously don't want Din to fail the mission. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I love this stuff. I love looking at things from a different point of view. Do you know what I mean? Like, not everything is black and white. Right, I understand these people working for the Empire at this point probably understand that maybe what they're doing is not right, but... Then again, we saw how well the propaganda of the Empire worked. Do you know what I mean? How much influence Palpatine had on the whole galaxy. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. And that's, uh, again, obviously something that we'll probably be seeing more in the, the other series we get. But also it's the nostalgia, isn't it? It's the fact that, you know, you had it a bit with like the Force Awakens trailer, you know, there was, you know, everyone loved seeing that shot of like the Millennium Falcon flying around and you had like the Leia Force theme playing at that moment. But I think a lot of it was just as much seeing the TIE Fighters following the the Millennium Falcon. It's a combination of seeing all of these nostalgic elements. And, you know, I know when I was young, you know, a lot of the times 
if I was playing the PS2 Battlefront 2, I was just like, oh yeah, you know, hopping in an, an X-Wing and this fly around. But, you know, there's always a part of me that preferred jumping in a, a TIE fighter that bit more because it's that noise, the, you know, the classic noise, the, the lasers, the, you know, the way that they operate. And I used to have like a little model one. It's just something about them, which is fun. So yeah, it, it was fun to see them in that sense and you, you get that nostalgia. And that's why I've always said that I think that this kind of stuff like Rogue One works a lot better because you're literally seeing the nostalgic stuff as it was in those films it's not kind of just a a oh like it but slightly different i was like just go for it or don't kind of thing yeah i've i've always kind of preferred the empire over the rebellion just because they've got the cooler toys (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean which you know again makes sense like i said earlier if if you're if you're the underdogs you're going to be on a shoestring budget (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh, so you know it's at this point uh, i also enjoyed when they're going in here as well you saw that other side of it you know you see like you said you know you got factory workers there just normal joes and normal people who are so you know just doing their job and just you know working in this factory and you know got all the people there cheering because it is a a victory for them and they must have their own battles and their their own uh, fights that they're always dealing with so to them the pirates are the enemies um, which is really interesting and i love the short trooper who's just there like you know fist pumping like <laughs> hey loves it <laughs> Um, and it's that point then that they see like there's a mess hall and that's where he says that it's at that part that they'll find the terminal that they need. Uh, we get, uh, you know, what I could only describe as May- Mayfeld seeing his ex in a, from afar in a room and he walks <laughs> in like, oh, crap. Uh, it's my ex over there, you know, like where he you just walks, quickly turn around. <laughs> yeah, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. Um, so yeah, that, that made me laugh. And uh you know, the, the officer that he's come across is called Valen Hess, uh, who's an Imperial officer that he recognizes. Uh, but again, we see this aspect that Din Djarin is determined to get back Grogu and he's willing to, you know, do this himself. And Mayfield even says, you know, it, it will scan your face. And, you know, he's willing to go in there. So he goes in there with a data stick, but let's just face it, it's a USB stick, <laughs> and uh, accesses the, the computer um, it sort of scans him, doesn't work for the helmet, so he has to take it off. And I, I kind of glad, I, I felt good for Pedro Pascal in this this moment because even though we got to see him in season one, he was like all like sweaty and like, you know, injured and like he's kind of like, was like he was just like crouched on the floor. He, he didn't look in the best shape, especially for his first appearance. Here, you could tell he was just like, right, this time I'm going to look good. You know, <laughs> yeah. he kind of takes it off. He's got like the swept hair. God. You know, his his mustache game is, is on point, which I think, why would somebody who wears a, a, a helmet like have such a damn good mustache you'd think they'd just be like who cares nobody ever sees me but he's like no i'm, I'm gonna trim my mustache i'm gonna have a very fetching <laughs> trimmed mustache da- daddy pedro you. man he's gotta look good like <laughs> exactly uh so you know it, it's at that point that it, it it works he's able to take the information which he needs as to where moff gideon's light cruiser is uh but then uh we get a bit more of stakes here and again i think that this worked a bit more because you did feel at this moment like oh crap he could get captured it wasn't one of those moments of you know oh well this is going to happen or that person's going to come in you didn't know what was going to happen um so the officer is demanding that uh, dinjarin 
give him his TK number um, and asks who he is. And yeah, I, I kind of felt this character was a bit weird. I don't know how to feel about a Southern Imperial officer. Like, yeah, it was like, it was... I was only talking about in the ARS how good they've been at their casting of Imperials. And I was like, I don't know about this one. Yeah, this um, I, I was I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. And I was like, where do I know him? And I found out he plays Joe Chill in Batman Begins, the guy who kills <laughs> Bruce's parents. <laughs> He's also, I looked him up as well. He's the guy in uh, the first Kingsman film when they're testing them on the t- train tracks oh, to see yeah. if they'll say oh, yes, that is guy. Who, like, oh, yeah. Um, I think he's in Doom as well, apparently, I think. So, yeah, uh, yeah he's he's turned up in quite a lot of San- uh, fantasy, sci-fi fantasy. That's the new name for the, the two combined things. <laughs> fantasy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. At first, it sort of caught me off guard. But then there was times it didn't bother me. But then there were some like words or sentences he said that I was like, wow, that's really Southern American. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I was because he has appeared in like Kingsman and all this stuff. I was like, he can clearly do accents. So why, <laughs> why is he, why is he going with this? But I don't know, I, I guess it kind of worked for maybe the location they were in. Maybe that's what they wanted to go with. Uh, but it was just strange to see. Um, but at this point, Mayfeld comes in um, and he sort of like, again, we get that idea of like, you know, working Imperials on the ground. He, you know, he's talking about like, oh, we call him brown eyes because this thing happened back in like the war. And, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of stuff which makes it believable. It makes it feel like a real lived in world, which is really fun. Um, but as they try and get away, you know, he says, you know, I didn't dismiss you. Um, and it's at that point they saw like, you know, sit down and, you know, he wants to have a drink. Um, and you can see feel that there's like a lot of tension uh, there at that point. Um, outside, we see that uh, Dune and Shand are sort of taking aim at the anti-air cannons. Um, and I really like this as well. It, you know, it comes in later. I like the, the pairing of those two. I think they worked really well. I always like some snipers in Star Wars. I, it reminded me of that Clone Wars episode uh, where they're breaking out Zero the Hut and or Singh is there, you know, with a sniper. Because, again, I'm always somebody who's like, if I'm on Battlefront or something, I, I like to, you know, be there with the sniper, taking people out. It reminds me of that. So I like the fact that, again, he's like these deadly female warriors, you know, and there's no sort of shine away from it. You know, Shan's just there like, yeah, I've got like aim at this guy's head, this guy's heart, you know, <laughs> literally, you know, they're not willing to to hold back. Um, so, you know, it's at that point that they're sort of talking to, to Fett, um, but they're wondering what is taking so long for Dinjarin and Mayfield. Um, and it's that point that we saw see that they're having drinks with this Imperial officer um, and you know, he says that they should toast uh, to something and Mayfield suggests Operation Cinder, which is quite interesting. Nice, yeah. Nice little uh, canon reference there for people who've read the books. Yeah. And in, uh, Battlefront again, 2. Battlefront. Battlefront 2, yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, they talk there again about, you know, uh, living through uh, the situation on Burning Con, uh, where, you know, the Imperial officer says that was a hard day. Uh, he had to make many unpleasant decisions. And Mayfeld, again, clearly has some sort of, you know, experience with this. Um, he's recalling that the entire city, along with its inhabitants, were destroyed during Operation Cinder. And he says that his entire division of five to 10,000 people were wiped out. So, you know, the Hess says that, you know, the Lost Division were heroes to the Empire. Um, and that's where, you know, Mayfeld is obviously not taking kindly to this. Um, you know, he's saying, 
you know, about it's like, oh, it's a sacrifice for the greater good. Uh, but Mayfield disagrees. And that's where, you know, things get a bit more heated, you know, and they're talking about, you know, fighting for freedom. And, you know, you get a lot of the, you know, what, what did you think of this scene? You know, the you're getting more into the idea of this, the believer aspect, and you see why the, the story leads to where it does at the end. Yeah, I love this scene. Probably one of my favorite scenes, if not my favorite scene of the whole episode, uh, along with like his conversation with Mando when they were in the transport. Um, it's because it's just adding so much depth to the character of Mayfeld, you know, because what a redemption for him. We had such a great redemption of Fennec Shand last episode, and now we're having one for for Mayfeld. And I thought the exact same is like the two characters that, didn't get well represented last season have both been redeemed yeah it's fantastic and you know i've got to give it to bill burr because his performance in this scene particularly is wonderful like you can really see it in his face when he's like flinching and stuff at the thought of of these events uh you uh, you know saw in his face that he's really suffering from some form of ptsd from this event uh he mentions that it's you know, people's friends, her family have died, the brothers that he's fought with. And like I said up earlier, like it's really, in a way, humanizing the empire, humanizing that for a lot of these people, they're just roped into the military without maybe much of a choice. And that's what Mayfield's sort of saying. You know, you're saying it's for the greater good of the empire, but is it good for the people that died? So it's really big thematic Star Wars stuff, which I love. Uh, and coming from a pair of Imperials, which is, you know, something we really haven't seen before. Um, and at this point, it, yeah, like you said, it all goes haywire. But yeah, one, one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, That was the one thing that I think was one of the strongest elements, you know, without going too much into oh, what we could have had and stuff. But, you know, a lot of people talk about the Rise of Skywalker with that, you know, the Colin Trevorrow sort of script and stuff. It was really interesting that he had the Stormtrooper uprising rebellion i thought that was a great idea to have and stuff like this would have made sense for that um so you know we see that mayfeld is you know troubled by all of this and you know at that point the imperial is talking about how the new republic is in disarray and all of that will make people you know divert back to the empire uh, because they want order which you know again is you know teasing as to what they'll eventually transition into uh so he guns down uh the the imperial officer and it's at that point that everybody in in the room sort of turns on them and they have to sort of like awkwardly just like squeeze out of like a window uh, I'd, I'd say in this scene shout out to the the shore trooper just holding his uh the the, the food tray with a little cup on it <laughs> just before he gets shot he's just like looking at him just with his tray like Oh, I was just about to have lunch. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wanted that chocolate pudding. Uh, I just love as well, there's something about, like something awkward about this scene in which, like a lovable awkward, just the fact that they are just fighting on a windowsill, essentially. And then just people just like, oh no, I've fallen into the waterfall. It's just like, what uh, else is going to happen? Uh, it's just like, the, you get a lot of classic kind of Wilhelm scream type moments. Well, yeah, one of my favorite ones is that one of the stormtroopers shooting from underneath the window and then yeah. Mando <laughs> just pulls him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just so awkward. He's just there like, I'm, I'm trying my best. God damn it. Yeah. I'm trying through this like awkward, you know, metal blind. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they they escape out of the window uh, at this point as well. 
uh, Shand and uh, Dune are helping them with uh, sniper uh, cover, which is is great as well. That's why I think that that dynamic and that setup always works well and is always like really fun action. Um, and that's where you know Fett is then able uh, to come in. They're, you know they're ready for you know for pickup, so they uh, climb up the uh, ladder so that they can get to the slave one. Um, and then it's that point again that, you know, the slave one is, you know, this moment shows what an awesome ship it is because, you know, the way it just like flies in, you know, and it's able to tilt down, they're able to jump onto the uh, sort of loading bay, you know, it's just a classic ship and it works so well for these moments. It just looks glorious every time it's in an action scene. So I hope we get more of it. Um, and at this point as well, as they're flying away, uh, Mayfell takes a cycler rifle and uh, shoots it at the Rhydonium, causing a massive in- explosion that engulfs the refinery, which, you know, again, is this kind of culmination of this journey he's been through throughout the episode after killing that Imperial and seeing the damage that they've done, you know, seeing the village, he, you know, he wants to finish this. And, you know, all of that comes to a head at the end of the episode, which we'll talk about, you know, and how that sort of redeems him. Uh, but, you know, obviously we need to talk about the fact that, you know, uh, Fett click, quickly realizes that there's two TIE fighters they're pursuing them as they go away and we get the beautiful moment in which we even get like the cockpit the same you know dials that we see in Attack of the Clones showing you know the red dials and he releases a seismic charge uh, which just drops onto the two TIE fighters and uh, we get that oh so beautiful sound uh, that blows them both up and I absolutely just lost it that was like as soon as that opened I was like yes I was like do it I want it give it and it's, it's just such a satisfying sound and yeah I, I just love it Yeah, I, like you, I lost it as well. And it, it yeah. was actually, before it was revealed, that it was the shot of, like, he just, you know, dodged the TIE Fighters. Uh, and mm. then they were, they again went in position behind him. And at that moment, I was screaming at the telly, do it! Do it! <laughs> I was like, you know what to do! And then, like, he, he set up the dial. And then at that moment, I was like, yeah, we're doing it! Like, yeah. I was, I, I knew it. I was like, please do it! You yes. cowards! <laughs> Just do it. Uh, and so, because it's in a different setup as well, isn't it? Because previously we've seen it in like a, a meteor field, so it's kind of like just like horizontal where where his enemy was whereas here he's just literally dropping it on top of them, so there's like no escape, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh I you know, we're getting all these Attack of the Clones references now, and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. The the most hated Star Wars movie is becoming <laughs> very relevant to the Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, at that point, then uh, we you know they land and we see God Mayfeld, Dinjarin, and Cardoon, you know, talking, and you know we get this playful moment in which you know she's saying, you know, oh oh, it's too bad that uh, you know we lost him during that you know explosion of the refinery and. You know, it takes him a, a while to twig and, you know, we even have Mando kind of have to just like, you know, give him a, you know, a, a nod to like get out of here kind of thing, uh, which, which is great. Um, but yeah, you know, before all of that, obviously he's, you know, talking about 
he needed to unload some stuff from his chest and, you know, it wasn't a part of the plan. So, you know, they gain a new sense of respect for Mayfield. Uh, she and uh, Dune and Dinjarin concoct the story that he perished during the refinery explosion. Um, and then, you know, he sort of leaves as a free man. Um, and then it's at this point that, you know, they have the coordinates to Moff Gideon. Um, and, they, you know, Dinjarin says uh, yes, you know, to what their next move is. And, you know, they leave. They leave uh, Morak, and then we get a scene. We go back to the Imperial cruiser, and this is where I do also have to go back to what Niall has been saying in the past two episodes. I do now agree with him. I think that they either need to like sort out their recaps, or they need to like, yeah, just I have an option to turn it off or something because, like, alluding to the the line the you know Moff Gideon said in the previous season. In the recap, I was like, that's a bit too on the nose. I was like, people aren't that dumb. I was like, if people don't get the reference, you don't need to, you know, it's either they'll get the reference and appreciate it. You don't have to, like, put it in black and white. So, like, oh, by the way, if you don't know what this reference is, here it is. It's like, I don't think there's anybody watching that scene being like, I don't understand what he's referring to. It's just... It's like, if you don't get it, it doesn't matter. They still understand the context of it. So that kind of bugs me that they did put that at the beginning, but I do appreciate the actual episode itself doing it. Um, but yeah, he says, you know, he he basically refers to the previous speech that Gideon made when he was talking about taking back the child. Um, and he says, you know, that uh, he means more to him than he will ever know, uh, which, you know, is... A reference to what Gideon says in the previous season. Uh, Gideon watches, you know, sort of quite daunted, um, and then it ends. And yeah, he's he's not smiling anymore, is no. he? No. Uh, but to me, I I wasn't a big fan of this scene. I I liked the ideas of it, but I just wish it was just a bit longer. Or even the imperial officer just coming in. But oh, uh, you might want to see this. <laughs> I was say it didn't seem very imperial. First of all, that they weren't like, oh, sir, we've you know received a transmission or whatever. But yeah, I just kind of wish that they stretched out a bit more. It wasn't just this kind of like you know when they just tack on. It was kind of like in the Clone Wars finale. I didn't like that that scene where Bogatan came in like, hey, I need you uh, to help uh, because your enemy is my enemy and uh, you want to join me because we both want to get rid of them all. Um, okay, yep. Yeah. By you know, it, it was that kind of thing that they just rushed this kind of like I'm coming for you, Gideon, and it was just like, you know, I, I got what they were doing, but I just wish that they didn't do it in such a kind of like here's the next episode setup, and you didn't see anything of Mando Boba. It just seemed like it wrapped up a bit too quickly for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end scene before the Imperial Cruiser, when we're with Mando, Caradun, and Mayfeld, I was ex- sort of expecting him to stay. After they let him go, I was maybe expecting him to stay, but whatever. Okay, maybe we'll see him again down the road. There's only so much space on that ship. You know, you've, you've got to fit in the frog people. That's true. Cobb Vance got to come back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm totally on board with you. Like, And after the first, I think I stopped watching the recaps after the third episode because uh, I was like, oh, this is this is annoying me now because it's sort of setting everything up of like i'm not left with any surprises so for me because i didn't watch the recap mando coming in and saying the same spiel that gideon did was a really nice surprise for me yeah okay so it was only so like on rewatch that i realized that they it wasn't like i was like oh now i know why they did that in the recap i noticed it more on the second go 
but I did feel there was something off on the first watch in which I was a bit like, this seems like a bit rushed. It seems like, so it was a combination yeah, of things. No, totally. Even though it was a nice surprise and I liked it, I felt that they should have just built up to it a bit more, you know, played with it a bit more a- as well. Absolutely. I think the intention of this scene was really good. And it could have been done really well. And the and the small little bit that we did get is really cool. But but like you, I feel as if we could have had more setup about what's going to happen next week. Um, you know, so, okay, they've got the location of where the ship is, but are they going to try and aboard the ship? Or are they going to try and get it to, a, a, to track them to a planet to meet them on land? What's, you know, I would have maybe wanted some sort of setup. So when we start next week, we can go straight into the action. Do you know what I mean? Let's because I, I don't, you know, there's been a lot of go to this planet and meet this person and that. And I, I kind of want to for this last episode, let's just go all out. Let's go big. Uh, so a bit more setup would have been helpful. Saying that, you know, it's it's an okay way to finish the episode. I, like I said, the intention behind it was good. But yeah, it was also weird. I think Niall said before, wasn't it as well that no no Grogu in this episode it was it is weird to think of that because I I almost went into this expecting a scene in the Razor Crest with them talking playing and it was like this is strange to have this no it's it's funny because when Niall mentioned that in our group chat it only clicked for me then I was like oh yeah we didn't see we didn't see Grogu in that episode which is so weird <laughs> but at the same time, I think it goes to show how good of an episode it actually is then because it didn't really make me think about where's Grogu. Do you know what I mean? I was focusing at the story at hand. And also, I think they've done it intentionally to be like, right, this feel, this lostness feel that we need to get Grogu back by just not having him appear for an entire episode so that we feel, right, we need to get the kid back. You know, and, you know, the little green guy, you know. So that I think that was also you know a, a clear intention of, of it which which like i think yeah which is good so you know overall thoughts for yourself jake yeah like i said up top man um actually you know i think now that we've right like, proper discussed this episode i think i enjoy it even more mm. do you know what i mean yeah, yeah it's, it's it, that seismic charge isn't it it's, 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 yeah it was that <laughs> seismic charge and it was that shore trooper uh, holding that lunch tray uh, <laughs> Um, so you've been watching too much Gremlins, you know, the chaos in the <laughs> yeah. kitchen has been there. No, this this is a really good episode. I like I said, I wasn't too sure what I, at first what I thought of it, but now after a couple of rewatches and talking about it with you, and really seeing and the 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 ma- themes that's going on in this episode and the stakes that's been you know sort of rising and on how good this finale is or how you know what it pans out like in terms of seeing this episode for the overall season i think at the moment that it is it is a great addition you can see what they're doing and i think that you know as long as the next one fully delivers and gives us that epic battle we want then we will appreciate this even more for giving us those character moments and especially if it is setting up plot elements and you know themes and emotions that will pay off in the next episode so for example the stuff with the helmet and showing his face you know, the idea of like the toll that, you know, the Imperial and the Empire have on the galaxy. I think that's all really interesting if they if they explore that a bit more and we see a bit more of that in the next episode. So I think on that as well, because a lot of a lot of people are saying, oh, let's move the story forward and stuff like that. And I think by now we should all realize this is how they plan to tell this story in little bite sized pieces. But 
just be patient because it will all pay off in the end. Yeah, like I, I feel, I still feel that the the neck this season has to end with some resolution to Grogu. I'm not saying that like he goes out of the show or anything, but we can't just have it be like season three, still looking for his master, still looking for the Mandalorians. I think there needs to be some finality. I would like, I wouldn't mind like a sort of time jump kind of thing for the next season, but I think there needs to be some wrap up. It can't just be again, this sort of like cliffhanger moment, which they've been doing all throughout the season as well. So you you say that, but if they give us one hell of a cliffhanger next week, yeah, uh, do you know? What I, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I'm just thinking of like you know we had series like the boys this year. We felt that they probably would do that, but then they didn't. You know they did kind of wrap it up, but leave the door open on a lot of plot elements. So I'm I'm I want it to be more that route rather than being like literal. Everything is on this you know cliffhanger kind of thing. So you know we'll see, and you know that's gonna inform the entire series, which will be very fun and interesting, which we'll get to talk about. As the full set of Mandalorians, or Mandalorians, I should say. Yeah, excited uh, to get all three of us back on. And um, But before that, you'll be able to hear us uh, on our Disney Investor Day special, which we'll be talking about all the announcement that, that uh, Lucasfilm have made. Well, obviously just the Star Wars stuff, because we are a Star Wars show, but I tell you what... That's going to be a long episode because there's a lot of stuff to discuss. So uh, keep an eye out, guys. That will be coming very, very, very soon. Also, uh, if you want to read about our thoughts on this episode or just, you know, overall fresh takes view on it, then we have this week's writer, Stefanos Florakis, which has done the written review of The Believer, which you can catch on freshtakehub.com. And uh, yeah, please go there, support it, like it, view it, read it, and support him with a cup of coffee over on Coffee, uh, which is our website, which you can donate and support our writers uh, with a drink or coffee or tea, whatever they drink. Uh, it's always much appreciated. So go head over there now, see his written review, because I'm sure, like I said, some different views and a different different way of looking at the episode rather than just talking about... <laughs> what we enjoy with uh short troopers and <laughs> different detonation devices it's, it's the privilege that audio gives us but you know <laughs> yeah so some really good stuff on fresh take hub at the minute um you can you know keep up to date with us the monday Lorians. we're also on the freshtakehub.com slash the monday Lorians. subscribe and follow us on anchor spotify apple google whatever you use and if you're feeling generous, it does really help us uh, by giving a review, puts us up in those algorithms. So if you love it, if you're loving this podcast and you've got a friend who's also digging The Mandalorian, recommend us. I'm sure they'll enjoy our waddling along and jokes about bad wigs and frog people and stuff. <laughs> uh, me personally, um, I will be doing a article this coming week on The Matrix that's going to be on Fresh Take Hubs, so keep an eye out for that. I had a lot of fun revisiting these films, as I love them so much. Uh, and personally, you can follow me on Twitter, at Sweaty Jake, and you can also check out my hot takes on Letterboxd, at Jake Hart. How about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, very similar. You can catch me on Twitter, at David Osger, and you can also uh, see me talking about you know, films I've been watching, etc. on Letterbox, 
Uh, you can also see where I have, you know, on Twitter, where I have fun with the titles, as I wished last week's was called The Tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Um, and uh, you can also catch me on freshtakehub.com. At the moment, you know, very busy with our Christmas festivities, especially for our other podcasts on the website, which is Well Good Movies. So recently I watched Gremlins and Edward Scissorhands for that podcast. Uh, but we've also got a massive Christmas special coming up. Uh, which will be lots of fun and released on Christmas Day. So we've got a lot of planning and a lot of, uh, lot of, lot of fun, which we're, we're going to store for that one as well. Yeah, and on a side note to that, we're also incredibly busy with uh, Capes, Cows and Masks, our other podcast. Uh, so check that out where we'll be also covering the Disney Investor Day stuff, but all the Marvel stuff. Uh, and very soon, uh, hopefully, we'll be, able to, uh, we'll be able to get the chance to see the new Wonder Woman 1984 and hopefully do a review on it. So looking forward to that. Uh, So with that, everyone, we'll see you next week for the last episode of the season, but it won't be the last you hear of the Mandalorians, I can tell you that. So stay safe for everyone, and this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. (laughs) 